1 Corinthians, uh, the first chapter, verses 3 to 9. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The second reading is from Mark. Mark chapter 13, verses 24 to the end of that chapter. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put forth, <coughs> puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn. He may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you very much, Liz. Uh, friends, let's bow our heads for a short prayer. Father, as we, your people, open the pages of Holy Scripture today in this lovely warm building, we pray equally that our hearts and lives will be open to you by the gift of your Spirit. We pray for ourselves and we pray for each other that what we believe you would give us grace to live out in our daily lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. 
Paul came to the Corinthian church, so he wrote in uh, the Corinthian correspondence with great fear and trembling. And if you want to follow uh, the passage of scripture we're looking at today, it's on page 162, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. And the fear and trembling was because he was an apostle, uh, he'd be given much grace from God, and he was going to stand before God as judge one day for all that he'd done fear and trembling, but the Corinthian church, if you understand some of the context of the New Testament, were an interesting lot, shall we say, like that. Their sexual ethics were all over the place, Uh, their meal meal times were more than chaotic, they couldn't organise themselves, Uh, others were left wanting. And so Paul, in many reasons, was saying quite truly and genuinely, I'm coming to you and I'm writing to you with fear and trembling. And we look today at the first part of two letters that he writes to them. In the second letter, he's very much open-hearted. In the first letter, he addresses some of the particular concerns head-on. And the introduction uh, highlights for me, I'm going to mention three Greek words Uh, The snow might be deep and crisp and even, but the doctrine today, which is encapsulates in each of these three Greek words, is also pretty deep. It's a lot to get your head around, but I'm going to try and crisply place them in our minds. And of course, it's evenly spread across six verses. How about that for a neat fit? Follow me, page 162. So the first one is not really explicit, but it's right on the button for the Church of England uh, lectionary, and it's why we've got this particular reading today. It's implicit that God reveals himself. So there's a direct reference to the second coming of Christ. It's there in verse 8. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I guess you could have to trust me unless you've got your Greek New Testament to hand, but there's a particular Greek word on which this deep and profound doctrine is based, and it's simply put, revelation, or God will reveal himself on the day of Jesus Christ, on a particular time, a particular hour, as eternity's counsels are unveiled for us, It will happen. We don't know the time or the hour, but it will happen. And when it happens, it's an unveiling. It's a revelation. The Greek word is that same word. I'm not going to pronounce it because I can't, but we get from it the word apocalypse. And it's there as you read the last book of the Bible. It's a revelation. It's an apocalypse. It's an unveiling of Jesus Christ. The adveno. He will come. We've yet to see him. We don't know how it's going to be, but it will come. And all the pages of Holy Scripture reveal that this is something of unimaginable, timeless, definitive glory as God himself reveals himself as he really is. Of course, this is why it's a doctrine. It's not just an unknown time in the calendar or why it's not just a Greek verb or word. It's a doctrine of the Christian church. And like all doctrines, what we believe somehow must connect with our daily lives. 
It's not just in the ether, like the internet, where there's so much there to discover, or the encyclopedias that are gathering dust that you've never looked on. Christian belief must somehow affect our behaviour and how we live our lives. So the first revelation of God in Christ was babe at Bethlehem. We've got that, the word made flesh. God is going to reveal himself. Here's how he chooses to do it, as a human being. One theologian said this is the scandal of particularity. In a particular baby at Bethlehem, it's scandalous that God should say, that's me, that's how you've got to come to terms with me. Of course, one day I'll reveal myself to you fully. Why is this doctrine implicit and not explicit in this particular phrase? portion of scripture, I'm not sure, but that it's a doctrine, that it's an unveiling, that it's an apocalyptic appearing, that's how God is, should tell us what we believe, that God is like that. He wants to show himself to us. He wants to appear to us, not at the end of time, none of us were there at Bethlehem, but at every moment of every day for all of our lives. I think it was Brother Andrew practicing the presence of God. Perhaps I shouldn't joke about people that are unfortunately in mental institutions or sanatoriums. It's a deeply tragic affair, but to make a really trivial point, sometimes you'll have people claiming to hear from God every moment of every day. It's not just demons under the pillow, but God is speaking to me. And actually you kind of think, well, there's a form of madness here, particularly if they're drawing the wrong deductions. God's telling me to kill myself, or to do this, or to do that. And of course the trouble is, in contemporary culture, we might actually fear that we are mad, or part of the loony fringe, to say, well, God is speaking to me. God's told me this is what I need to do with this particular part of my life. But that's what Christians actually believe. God is a God who reveals himself to us. Get this, the babe of Bethlehem. Get this, the end of time. He will come. It's the day of the Lord. The implicit doctrine that I suggest to you, and this should happen, the Lord being our helper at every sermon, sometimes as we pray, or when we meet in the name of the Lord, or we talk about church work, or we start the day with Christ and we ask for him to be with us, to show him to us, God will reveal himself to us. Friends, how do you genuinely feel about that in terms of practicing the presence of God? Oftentimes we will say, well, Lord, remember me, because sometimes... I'm just going to forget you during the day and thank you that you'll always be remembering me. But more the deeper, more beautiful logic is to practice the presence of God for he for sure wants to unveil himself to each one of us. Now the second uh, Greek word which is there in verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you 
in Christ Jesus. The word there, literally in the Greek, is Eucharistia. It means thanksgiving. Anyone who's a member of the Church of England, how many prayers do they have that suggest every time we meet to give thanks for communion? We have as it uh, A to G or A to H. I've forgotten how many it is, or it might be A to F. There's six or seven or eight of them. And they're all prayers at which we give thanks. We Eucharist. It's the sacrament. And we give thanks to God for all that he gives us in the bread and in the wine. Notice what Paul is doing here. I give thanks to my God always because of the grace of God that's been given to you. Some commentators, and I have to disagree with them, this is only some of them, not all of them, the bulk of them would say Paul is being genuine. Some of them would say, well, you Corinthians are a right old bunch of so-and-sos. It's power play. It's posing. You can't eat together and you're all over the place. But look, how God has blessed you with all these great gifts. He's been ironic and sarcastic. I don't think Paul is being like that. I think he's just being forensic. I think he's holding on to true doctrine, which of course should affect how we live and believe. Paul is here not describing their personalities. He's not describing their background. He's not describing how they were raised as human beings. He's not saying, well, this person's attractive, that person's not attractive, this person's intelligent, that person's not intelligent. Paul looks at people surely as God looks at people with what he believes about God and what he believes about them. I thank God for you. I Eucharist, I thank God for you, not because of your personalities or your background or your DNA, but I thank God for you because the grace of God has come to you in Christ. Sometimes I feel the expansionism of the Christian belief means we should look for human flourishing and that is right and proper. Here and now, lives will be blessed. But sometimes we can under-spiritualize things. The most important thing for Paul as he looks at the Corinthian church and perhaps as you look at someone else is not their skills or their personalities or their gifts or their attributes, their monetary value to, to you, but the fact that Jesus Christ, the babe of Bethlehem, the Lord of glory, has opened their stubborn, fickle, unregenerate human hearts to the grace of God. The fact that they can't eat civilized meals together the fact that they're posers and they're all over the place with their sexual ethics is in one sense neither here nor there to Paul. He says, I thank God for you. To use Johannine language, you're born again. You are a Christian. The first spiritual cry. <laughs> Someone will be glad because you've introduced them to Christ. The most important thing about you that will last for all eternity, because it's Jesus in you, the hope of glory in your hearts. That's what it's all about. Of course you'll be flourishing in some way we won't know, 
And of course you're blessed here and now, but the treasure, the Christ in you in this jar of clay, is what's been given to you by the grace of God. And this is what Paul gives thanks to God for. Good to work and pray for other people, as long as, along with all these other wonderful things that we hope and long for for those we love and cherish. The third uh, word in Greek, upon which is a very, very powerful doctrine, I actually can't pronounce. I can give you um, what it isn't. It talks there in verse 6, Christ has been strengthened among you. And it's also there in verse 8, he will strengthen you to the end. You might think, if you're familiar with some aspects of New Testament Greek, where Paul's referring to tunamis, it's power, it's being strengthened. It's not that particular word from which we get dynamite. It's not a, actually a kind of powerful injection or explosion. And I can't pronounce the Greek word that's used twice in this passage, upon which a very profound doctrine is based. But it simply means that God gives you strength. It's not from yourself, from your personality, from your humanity, from your background, or where you were born, or where you live. It's given because it's strength from God. Do you see, even in this introduction to 1 Corinthians, Paul is being deeply profound, deep and crisp and even. God shows himself to us. He reveals himself. Christ can be born in us, the hope of glory in our hearts, the grace of God can be formed in us when our hearts have been opened. And when that happens, strength from God can come to us. We might say moments of desperation. I've certainly done it many times before. Lord, give me strength. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Or actually, it's a cathartic moment that I'm not coping. But actually, to be true and clear, and of course deeply profound, there's something that comes from God that only he can provide, and it's his strength. Notice this particular strength comes when we think, what about the end? Verse 8, he will also strengthen you to the end. How will it be on that day? Not so much that now, but how will it be in your life? How do you actually feel about your spiritual life? Is it settled? Is it strengthened? Probably a bit crass, but nonetheless, sometimes it seems to me, it's only seeming to me, two polarities exist. Either the incredibly anxious person that's always wanting reassurance and prayer can also exhibit itself in brazen flippancy, uh, low-grade arrogance that, of course, I'm all right, I've trusted Jesus, and, well, the Spirit helped me. And actually, if you take a step back and you think about how life is being lived, it's a classic overcompensation. Actually, something internally is probably not quite right. How does this land, how does this feel for us, that God strengthens us and what we believe 
comes out through our pores of how we live. Remarkable, of course, that these people for which Paul is giving thanks to God for, these Corinthians who have seen so much of God because God revealed himself to him, and he must be seeing that they're being strengthened in some way, they're actually such, such a shoddy lot and they're all over the place and they get not just one letter but two whole letters for Paul to have a go at them and say well look you need to be on the straight and narrow and let me just tell you about the, the love thing there's 1 Corinthians uh, 13 and of course uh, the power of the resurrection uh, that should be in your midst along with public worship there's a whole few chapters on that goodness me What's it often said? If you're trying to find a perfect church, just don't join them. How, how much should we be rejoicing today when a day we are looking ahead to the second coming of Christ that God always wants to show himself to us? Do you believe this? That this afternoon God can reveal something to you by his spirit? as you go through this week with the decisions you're making for yourself or your home or those you're responsible for. God can guide. God can show himself to you. Obviously, if it's a biggie, don't just head off and do a mad thing. Check it out with others. The Lord is Lord of the church. The Lord is Lord of those you're caring for. Can't just impose these things but neither can you be so stupid to make the choices on your own. The Lord wants to show himself to you. And give thanks to God for those who have led you to Christ. You know who they are. Your parents. Your Sunday school teachers, if that's still the right expression. Your youth group leaders. Those who patiently open the scriptures to you even though you're probably there at the start for the refreshments or the company, and then slowly it begins to dawn <clears throat> that this is right. I've somehow got to align myself with this. And then, of course, may there be more moments when we don't just get by on our own. We're conscious that actually we're walking with the Lord. And he's the Lord that gives us strength day by day. last word again why not let me pray father we thank you for the corinthian church for revealing yourself through them to us please open our hearts even this day and this week to discover more of you to see you and to practice the presence of god day by day And we thank God for the work of Christ in our own lives. Thank you that grace has been revealed. And we pray too for strength from above to live life before you in a way that pleases you. Forgive us when we fail. Forgive us when we ignore you. And may we live lives that please you and are strengthened by you until your wonderful coming again, for which we thank you even this day. In Jesus' name, amen.